0: What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, just over a week out from the start of the NBA regular season, where the Brooklyn Nets will tip off against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But now we're fresh off of Brooklyn's third preseason game, a 127-119 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. In today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down some of what went wrong in that game, and there was plenty of what went wrong, as well as some macro trends from this game and the preseason that I think the Nets are really going to harp on heading into that first regular season. Season game. And when you're assessing the sloppiness and the issues with this Brooklyn Nets team in this loss, I think you look no further in the offense and 27 turnovers that allowed the 76ers to take 33 more shots in this game. Those two numbers, when I was Going into the press media room after the game, I looked at the box score. I did a double take at the sight of that. 27 turnovers and a 33-shot disparity, something that I don't know if you'll ever see in a regular season game or at least one that matters. And, you know, this is preseason, so obviously there's going to be some sloppy play. But I really think that those two numbers are indicative of some of the struggles we may see early on in this offense, you know, headlines by Ben Simmons and also – alongside Nick Claxton, that pairing that we've heard so much about dating back to the start of last last year's regular season. And just talking about Ben, because it feels like we're obligated to talk about Ben at the start of all these episodes, given his improved health and his play and just the question marks surrounding him are the biggest developments entering the season. Ben came into this game, he had eight points, nine assists, six rebounds, three steals a block, but eight turnovers, four of eight from the field in 29 minutes, and it was sloppy from Ben early on, as it was the whole team in the first half. It was 17 turnovers from the Nets in the first half. They were really struggling to get anything going offensively, but we did see some more of what we saw from Ben in those first two preseason games, which was him being a little bit more aggressive early on in the game. He had a nice play coming off a of pick and roll. where We went in between his legs, split the double team, and went in and finished through contact for an and one. Those are the kind of plays that we didn't often see. He had some big-time highlight plays in the second half that I'm going to get into later. He was trying to push the pace. So Ben said after the game, you know, when asked about the eight turnovers and just the team sloppiness as a whole, of, of I'd rather get the turnovers out of the way now. We're going to use this game as a learning experience moving forward, which I do think is true. And I think one of the first things that I need to emphasize when talking about those turnovers is the fact that Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson were both out during this game. And that is going In an offensive unit that has Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton on the floor, that is going to kill the Nets. And it's something I'm going to get into more at length later, but I think that was a big reasoning for it. So overall from Ben in this game – I think that he had his moments. He had his sloppy moments. But overall, I think you can still see the improving fluidity, the the improving confidence. We're seeing some real splash vintage Ben Simmons plays, kind of what we saw in his Philadelphia days when he was an all-star three seasons in a row. So that is a resounding positive. And while we're going to break down the sloppiness, I do think that you really have to come away feeling good about what you saw from Ben in this game. But really what I wanted to focus on in this episode is that Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton pairing. That last year was not viable offensively. After Jock Vaughn took over as the Nets head coach last season, he moved away from the Nets, uh, from the Simmons-Claxton pairing in just two games. He moved Simmons to the bench, he played Simmons almost exclusively at center, and those two were staggering minutes because he did not feel that the pairing could really field a competent offense. But this year, Vaughn has said at length that he's committed to it, that Simmons is the point guard as long as he can play at a certain level. And they're going into this season, committed to having those two guys as their two most versatile defenders, two of their best athletes on the floor together to try to take advantage of their gifts while also fielding a competent offense. And if they're going to field a competent offense, there's three keys that I see from what I've seen on tape to making that Simmons Claxton pairing available. Viable. And I'm going to break down all those right now. And the first one is something that we've heard Jock Vaughn talk about ad nauseum this preseason. And that is having premium spacing from the other three players around Simmons and Claxton is the term that Vaughn keeps using. And when he's saying that, he's saying that the other three players need to be high-level spot-up shooting threats. And for the most part, that's going to come from Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, obviously. The Nets not having them in this game. You know, it opened up a glaring hole there, and it really had the offense looking completely out of sorts for the majority of the first half without those two the Nets took 11 threes in the first half they committed 17 turnovers that led to Philly taking 20 more shots in the first two quarters and the Nets have two players in Spencer Dimwitty and Cam Thomas who I think are really interesting and I've I've wrote about I've talked about throughout this training camp in this context because Dimwitty and Thomas obviously two players have been lead ball handlers for most of their career and they're now playing more of an off-ball role heavy off-ball minutes alongside Simmons and for this offense to work those two have to commit to taking a heavy dose of catch and shoot threes if you want any sort of spacing if you want Simmons and Claxton have room to operate if you want the offense in the half court You know, not even to be good, but just not to be one of the worst in the league, which is what it could be if this goes wrong. So I asked Vaughn if he's been happy with what he's seen from Thomas and Dimwitty in terms of committing to those spot up threes after the game. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, Eric, and this is a prime example tonight is uh, you I think you have to shoot those catch and shoot threes. So I've encouraged Cam. I think one of these games, he was four for seven for three, like the catch and shoot without doing it off the bounce is huge for us. Because Ben is going to create the closeout or Ben's going to create the advantage for us. And uh, we don't want to give that advantage back to the team by you know over dribbling sometimes and getting back into the paint where they have a chance to uh, make rotations. And so those catch and shoot threes, we want to encourage Spencer's really good at it. Cam is growing in, in that area for us. And so uh, you saw tonight, if you turn those down, those can turn into turnovers. Uh, And so this is a prime example tonight. So you see Vaughn talking there about the emphasis he's been putting on taking those catch and shoot threes to Dim Woody and Thomas in particular, two guys who were ball handlers in the past. Because as he said, Ben's going to create those advantages. Ben's going to create those kickouts. And in an offense that features two non-shooters, the Nets cannot afford to pass up those looks, those opportunities, and they need the defense to respect those other three guys at a rate that opens the floor up to the point where the offense can just function at an NBA level. So that's going to be of the utmost importance. And, you know, this play play is a good example. There was a play early on that was a good example of what Vaughn was referring to. Spencer Dimwitty, this is early on in the game. He comes off a little action rolling to the middle. He kicks out to Cam Thomas, who has several feet of airspace with the defender on a late rotation, but Cam decides not to take the three. He gives it back to Dimwitty at the top of the key, who also has airspace with a late rotation, and again, does not take the three. Leads to a turnover. So this is what Vaughn is talking to. You cannot afford to pass up those opportunities. You cannot afford to pass up those looks if you're going to make this offensive make this offense work. And I'm not saying that either of those guys have been bad. Dimwini and Thomas has three point shooters. they actually have been pretty good throughout the preseason. I think Dimwini nine of 14. The majority of those are catch and shoot looks. Thomas, I think is eight of 14. 13 from three. Five of those, I think, are catch-and-shoot threes. He was a little reluctant early on in this one, but he hit three catch-and-shoot threes as the game went on, which was really good to see, and he looked comfortable doing so, which is going to be a big barometer of this unit's upside with Simmons and with Claxton on the floor. And, you know, Dinwiddie and Thomas doing this is going to be so important because if they can provide enough spacing to be on the floor in those lineups, they also have the ability to create their own shot late in the shot clock and in transition to provide that extra scoring punch and provide things that. Simmons and Claxton's can't do in terms of just being three-level scoring threats. So it's the combination of those two those two things. Whereas you compare that to a Royce O'Neill and a Dorian Finney-Smith, two other guys who are adequate three-point shooters who could come off the bench, but are limited as ball handlers and limited as finishers. And we saw it throughout this game that there are points where they're getting kickouts off these rotations and guys are closing out and they don't have the ability to get into those second side actions to create their own shot the way that a Dimwitty or Thomas can. So, Spencer and Cam committing to taking these catch and shoot threes, committing to doing so even maybe in situations where they might've been uncomfortable in the past, that's really gonna be of the utmost importance if the Nets wanna make this uh, Claxton and Simmons pairing work. And just staying on the subject of premium spacing and Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith in that category, I said before, the importance level of having guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson were high level spot up shooters in this unit. I think one, if not both of those guys is going to need to be on the floor alongside Claxton and Simmons at almost all times. I think Dinwiddie and um, Cam Thomas are going to be of the utmost importance also due to their ability to be shot creators. What I laid out, some of the deficiencies that Finney Smith and um, Royce O'Neal have. Not that those two can't necessarily play with this unit, but I think that the level of spot-up shooting threat, I think a lot of these guys get lumped together in some aspect. Whereas, you know, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, obviously better players, but they are three and D. They can space the floor, as people like to say, whereas people say the same thing about Royce O'Neill and Dorian Finney-Smith, guys that play defense, guys that can be spot-up three-point shooters. But there's a level to being spot-up three-point shooters, and there's a level to the comfortability you have taking tightly more tightly contested shots and also just the respect you, can, you command and the space that you open up from opposing defenses. And I think that I came across and did some research And found some really interesting numbers on guys like Johnson Bridges versus a Finney Smith and an O'Neal in the form of defender distance tracking, where you can track how far away defenders are, you know, the percentage of shots that you get with defenders from certain distances uh from three. And I think that there were some really interesting numbers when you look at a guy like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. And I, you know, put together some of these graphics. And just when you look at these numbers, looking at Cam Johnson, and the way I wanted to do this was to go back to their last full season with their respective teams because the Nets offense was. You know, pretty disjointed and pretty wonky last year after with all those guys coming from different teams at the trade deadline. So it's tough to take much away from that, you know, offensively when you're looking at it from a macro level. So going back to their last season with their respective teams, Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges in Phoenix, Dorian Finney-Smith in Dallas and Royce O'Neal in Utah, just looking at their three-point numbers, trying to visualize for you guys what kind of the caliber of three-point shooter and this respect that these guys command. Looking at Cam Johnson here, 21-22 is last season with Phoenix, he shot 43% from three, but the numbers I really want you guys to look at is the percentage of attempts that were wide open, and that's six plus feet of space. That was 54% for Cam Johnson. Percentage of attempts that were just open, that's four to six feet of space, 40%. You look at his percentages, he's at 45% when wide open. When more tightly contested, four to six feet, he's 41%, not much of a drop-off. So there's a much lower percentage of his threes that are wide open, Looks and he's shooting a consistent percentage on both of those looks, whether he's contested from completely far away or whether that defender's a little closer. Looking at Mikhail Bridges, similar thing. He's 37% from three. 46% of his attempts were wide open. Not as many as some of these other guys. 40% is from that four to six feet of airspace. He shoots 40% when wide open, 37% slight drop off when just open. Now you compare that to a guy like Royce O'Neal who shot 39% with Utah's last full season. But look at the percentage of his attempts that are wide open with six plus feet of airspace. 87% of his looks. Only 11% defenders are even within four to six feet. So Royce O'Neal is comfortable taking these shots He's accustomed to taking these shots when completely wide open the overwhelming majority of the time. He shoots 40% when wide open on those looks. But when he gets the defender even just a little bit closer, that drops to 31%. So not as comfortable taking those looks where there's a defender anywhere near him, not commanding that same kind of respect. Similar thing when you look at Dorian Finney-Smith, shot 40% in 21 22 80% of his looks are wide open. That number is up in over 80, similar to Royce O'Neal. 18%, just four to six feet It's just 18% of his looks. Three-point percentage when he's wide open is 41%. That drops six whole percentage points when he has those defenders a little bit closer. So the reason that I showed you those graphics and researched those numbers is just to illustrate the level of command and level of respect that Bridges and Johnson, that Bridges and Johnson are going to command that is really a necessity for this offense alongside a Ben Simmons and a Nick Claxon. In addition to that, obviously, I touched on Cam Thomas and Spencer Dinwiddie. the need of them getting more comfortable doing those things and getting to that level of a Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson while also being able to provide that shot creation. So that's really what it comes down to is having that high level of comfortability, shooting with a little bit of a tighter airspace, also having some ability to create shots late in the shot clock. That's really the only thing that is going to make this offense viable with those two non-shooters in the starting unit. And it's really Going to be those four guys, especially Johnson and Bridges. Hopefully, Dimwitty and Thomas can get into that mix. And O'Neal and Finney Smith may mix in, but they have some deficiencies that are going to make it tough to be on those guys this level. So that was number one premium spacing. The second thing that I'm going to talk about is just pace. And we've heard it from the Nets, you know, dating back to last year into this training camp. Ben Simmons has said they want to play a run and gun offense, pace, 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 tempo, tempo, tempo. Part of what part of that is going to be steals. Part of that is going to be grab and go rebounds. And I think we saw some of that, some of both of those things from Simmon Thursday. He had some plays that I think were really indicative of the way the team wants to play as a whole. The steals coming from just their length, their versatility. I think I've put out these numbers, you know, heading you know throughout this training camp i think the nets average height is around six seven they have an average wingspan of six ten with some of the additions So they've made they much younger team i think the eighth youngest team in the league heading into this season so you know being active on defense getting the hang of some of these new schemes that vaughn's putting in getting some of these steals will be one part of the pace and the other part is just grabbing and go off rebounds and simmons you know he had a nice play early on where he forced a little get ahead pass to lonnie walker who drove in for a layup another play where he, he pushed the ball all the way off a make to the paint on the other end. And then he kind of gave it back for Dayron Sharp who jab stepped and went in for a layup. And this is when Simmons is at his best. It's taking advantage of his speed, creating numbers, advantages, and angles that allow him to use his incredible vision and his incredible ability as one of the best passers in the league. And he really is an unbelievable mental processor in those moments. He's just, he sees things that some guys don't. It's, it's sort of in the mold of what, some of the older Nets fans would have saw from Jason Kidd back in the day in just seeing these angles, seeing these opportunities to get the ball ahead and create advantages from his teammates that most guys just don't see. And, you know, it's not going to be, a high-level half-court team, a high-level half-court offense with Simmons and Claxton in this unit. So they're going to need to push the pace. They're going to need to create some cross matches. Simmons had a few more plays where he was able to create three-point opportunities. They had two plays where he drove and pushed the pace a little bit and then dropped it off behind his back to a trailing Royce O'Neal who hit a couple of threes. He had another one where he got it ahead to Cam Thomas and Cam Thomas kicked back out to the top to an open Dorian finney Smith who pulled the trigger. So plays like that where you're pushing the pace, you're creating the opportunity To have open catch and shoot threes, to have open driving lanes. And Simmons really being the head of all that is how you're going to take advantage of his skill set the most. So I thought that was nice to see. And I think it's going to be something that the Nets are going to need to continue to do. And they're really going to need to continue to keep up with Simmons because Simmons knows that that's when he's going to be at his best and bring the most to the table. So, you know, Vaughn has said that throughout camp. I think at times we're just having a little trouble keeping up with Ben. Hopefully the Nets will be able to do that better heading into the end of this preseason, into the regular season. Number three on on this list, and the last thing that I'm going to talk about is off ball activity from Simmons and Claxton because you know both of these guys obviously are not shooting threats, and when they're not, when they don't have the ball in their hands, if they're not active. All they're going to do is clog up the lane. And, you know, there's some plays you can take a play early on in this game. For example, uh, Cam Thomas comes off a pick and roll from Nick Claxton going to his left. Look at where Simmons is on in this play. He's kind of standing in no man's land. He's not in position to receive a kick out and rotate the ball from the other side. He's not rolling to the rim, presenting an option. What happens? It turns into a turnover and a lay in on the other end. So that really can't happen. And what we need from Ben, what you need from Claxton is if they don't have the ball in their hands, they're has to be some kind of action there has to be some kind of activity you're working whether that's a pick and roll on the ball whether that's screening away from the ball whether that's cutting to the basket it needs to be something there was a play that I thought was a really good example Coming off a nice stop and rebound from the Nets, one of their best defensive possessions. They came down the floor. They went right into a dribble handoff on the right side. It wasn't there. What do they do? They reverse it to Claxon, who goes right into a second side action on the other side of the floor. They run a Chicago set with a little dribble handoff coming off a double screen. They work it back to Thomas, who has a driving lane kick out. Extra pass, wide open three for Dorian Finney-Smith. So these are the kind of possessions that you're really going to need to see from the Nets with Simmons and with Claxton on the floor. And it's not easy. And that's why a lot of people are skeptical that this, including myself, that this pairing of Simmons and Claxton can be viable in a half-court offense because – not only do you have to play with the pace that is going to take a lot of energy out of you, but when you're in the half court, there needs to be such constant movement from those two guys to ensure that you're creating any kind of advantage and not clogging up the paint that it really takes the coach and the entire team being extremely committed and being in extremely good condition just to be able to create some offensive opportunities. So this is some of what we're going to need to see from Ben. We saw some other plays. He had one where he got a little kick out and he's catching the ball on the move, cutting on a 45, laid it in. We saw another one where he's forcing the issue into the post. You see De'Ron Sharp cutting from the weak side corner. He goes in for an alley-oop. The Nets' top highlight of the night, a product of Ben remaining active, cutting off the ball, cuts back door. Lonnie Walker finds him with a bounce pass. He makes just a sick behind-the-back find to Spencer Dimwitty in the corner for a wide-open three, and he splashes it. So those kinds of things where those two big men, whether it's Simmons and Claxton or Simmons and Sharp, need to be extremely active off the ball if this offense is going to have a chance to really produce any kind of a product that's adequate in the NBA setting. So those are the three things that I think this Nets coaching staff is really going to be harping on to make this starting unit viable. And rounding out the episode, just wanted to touch on a couple of guys that I thought turned in some interesting performances in the game against Philly, the first of which is Trendon Watford, put up 13.7 rebounds. Five of ten from the field, two of two from three, and Trendon just a very interesting player. You know he has the size of a big man. He's six foot eight, two hundred and thirty seven pounds, but he handles the ball with the, like a guard. And he plays with a really nice control to his game. He's able to penetrate. He's able to finish. He's able to hit some of these floaters, but he's not really a good enough three point shooter to be considered a ball handler or a wing player. So I'm not sure how the Nets use him. Honestly, personally, I think him playing alongside Ben Simmons as a small ball five option, putting him in the short roll. It gives you another guy who can handle the ball and run in transition. You can work some five out in those looks. I think that's very interesting. And I think Watford has a really intriguing skill set. It remains to be seen where he fits in, but certainly worthy of a roster spot, in my opinion, based on these performances. And I could even see him getting in the mix for some rotation minutes early on. Next guy is De'Ron Sharp. Nine points, 10 rebounds, two blocks, two of six from the field, five of eight from the three free throw line. And Dayron was getting some praise, you know, for this performance. And I get it. You know, he had 10 rebounds, only met in double figures in that regard. The team struggled rebounding the ball last year, but watching it live, it's just, it's tough for me to get excited about it because the two areas that I said, and I felt that Dayron really needed to improve heading into this season was defending in space and finishing near the rim, finishing plays near the rim. And in my opinion, he really doesn't look like he's made significant strides in either of those areas. Obviously, it's early, but you know the Nets are playing a lot more drop coverage. He struggles defending in drop coverage. He isn't great at positioning himself. He doesn't look like he has the foot speed or length to impact a lot of those plays. He obviously struggles switching because he's not very quick on the perimeter either in that regard. And then just offensively, there's still a lot of fumbling the ball in the rim. He has trouble catching these passes from Simmons and other guards. There are a few turnovers created that way. And he just doesn't look natural working in trap. And, you know, both of those things, defending in space and finishing at the rim, finishing contested, corralling passes off of nice speeds. It really just comes back to grace and coordination. And Dayron just doesn't look that graceful or coordinated, in my opinion. And those were the two knocks on him coming out of North Carolina. So you can say that he has a concrete skill that translates to the NBA just as a rebounder. But in those other areas with teams becoming more spaced out, teams becoming more athletic, I feel like he's really has some deficiencies in those areas that can be exposed. So we'll see if he can improve, but I'm not, you know, getting on the day run hype train the way some people may be earlier this year. Um, last guy, I just wanted to throw a quick shout out to Armani Brooks. One of the Nets newest two ways, because, Armani comes into the game and this guy is just firing. And, you know, I just, I got to give him some props for the type of threes that this guy can put up after sitting the entire game and coming off the bench cold, pulling up from 35 feet and just draining shots. And we saw it in summer league and I, you know, broke down during summer league, some of what he did in prior years in the G league and in the NBA with Houston and Toronto. And he's a guy who can shoot the basketball. You know, I, I put a tweet out after, uh, he hit a couple of threes late in this one. And I said, you know, I complimented his three point stroke and, I made a reference to if he had a few more inches on him, which drew some pause reactions on Twitter that I knew were coming as soon as I made it. But you know, all jokes aside, Armani, I think a really interesting two-way player, especially for what I just broke down for the Nets in terms of their need to space the floor at a high level this season. A guy that, if there's some injuries, I could, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he could be getting in the mix for the rotation just based on the spacing that he's allowed to provide. Obviously, a long way to go before he could get into that situation. But I do think a very interesting flyer on the Nets and just wanted to give him a quick shout out. But that about does it for this episode of Believe in Nets. Hope you guys took away some good things from what I saw on film in this game heading into that first regular season game next Wednesday. I am Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. You can find all of my content on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. Also, you can find all of my articles on ClutchPoints.com. Make sure you guys subscribe to this podcast. I'm posting YouTube videos every week. at believe in Nets on YouTube, also on Apple Podcasts. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Excited to providing some more content on this platform. Got some guests coming on that I'm really pumped about in the coming weeks. Think we'll be able to provide some really good coverage. Got the Nets last preseason game coming up, and then obviously leading into that opening night. Excited to provide more coverage for you guys on this platform as the season progresses. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.